I love a good story. And I was really excited last weekend when it rained all of Saturday because it meant I didn't have to go out in the garden. I didn't have to do my jobs that I need to do outside. I could sit on the lazy boy and I could enjoy a really good book. And it had been quite some time since I was able to do that. And I know all of you enjoy a really good story because after the service, everyone sits and stands around and has a chat for a long, long time. And the poor person with the job of locking up often has to shoo people out at one o'clock because everyone's talking. Because when we catch up with people, we want to share our life stories. We want to share what's been happening in our week, in our month. Sometimes they are the highs, like the Facebook show reel that everybody kind of puts out there. When something happens that is good, our first instinct is we want to tell those people that are important to us all about what's happened. The funny thing that happened with your child this week, something great that happened at work, an experience that you got to do over the weekend. There are times when we share the lows as well. Not with everybody, but with a few close friends who walk with us when we have struggles, when we're wrestling with sickness, when we're wrestling with anxiety, something happening in the family, frustrations. And we unburden ourselves to those, those close friends and they walk with us in those hard times. No matter if we're, we're at a high or at a low, we love sharing stories. And each of us are right in the middle of our life story. For some of us, we have a few more chapters under the belt and we're getting towards the end, but we don't know how it's going to end. For others of us, we've got the opening chapters and we've got the rest of the novel to, to complete. And that's where we're at. Today, we're going to pick up and start the series on 2 Samuel. And for David, this is the middle of his story. See, originally, 1 and 2 Samuel were actually part of one book. It just was a very, very long book, and they couldn't, they ran out of space in the scroll, so they kind of divided it at a particular point, and then you had your 1 and 2 Samuel. So even though this is the, the start of a new book that we're looking at, for a good chunk of the rest of the year. It's actually the middle of the story. And before we dive in, we have to ask ourselves, why does God teach us using stories? Because if you look at the Bible, over 50%, over half of it, close to 60%, are stories. So God obviously had a reason for that. One of the reasons God uses stories to teach us is that we connect with stories. Stories connect with us. They're about real people in real situations, and we can relate to that. When you read or listen to a story, automatically you're thinking to yourself, who am I like? Yeah, I can relate to that because that happened to me. Wow, look at how that person responded. They resonate with us. They connect with us. Stories also make us think. They don't come out just and, and tell us exactly what, what we're supposed to do or what we're supposed to think. 
we have to actually sit there and ponder and kind of wrestle with it. Because God doesn't just want a head knowledge. Yep, I know this fact. He wants us to live it out. And part of that is making us think, slowing us down, and getting us to think, what is God teaching here? What do I need to learn from this? Stories also uh, make deep truths real. See, you can know something intellectually, but it's a whole other thing for that to come and get evidence in your life, to actually live it out. And if you're like me, when someone uh, describes a kind of an abstract thought, I need to see it in action. I can know that God loves me, but I actually need to see it in action to really grasp his love. And that's what stories do for us. They provide us flesh and blood examples of real people interacting with God and the world around them, demonstrating what it actually means to live out a life of faith. So with that in mind, we have to ask ourselves, how do we pay attention to what God is trying to teach us using stories? Because it's not like, you know, Paul's letters to, to the churches and the New Testament, where he just comes out and says it. We're expected, God's expecting us to read and ponder and think and then understand where he's coming from through those stories. The first thing we need to pay attention is to contrast. Because anytime there's a story, there's always characters in the story and there's always contrast between those two stories. In Samuel, we have the contrast between Saul and David. And we're going to see that today. Saul on the outside looked like the most impressive leader. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. Great military prowess. He was a man's man. Somebody that you would naturally look to. So we have Saul on one side. And then we have David. That annoying younger brother that some of us have. You know, the one that's, you know, always tagging along. The one that was sent out with the flocks because actually the older brothers had more important things to do. So we have this contrast between Saul and David all the way through. And we're meant to take note of that because that is part of the, what God is teaching us here. Another thing with stories is we've got to look at the problem. Because anytime there's a, a story, there's always a problem to be solved. You know, in the movies, you know, will, will they defuse the bomb and save the world? And the story of Samuel, the big overarching problem is who's supposed to be king? Who are we supposed to follow? Are we supposed to follow Saul and his descendants? Is he the rightful king? Or is it David? And his descendants, are they the rightful king? So we've got to look at the problem and the story. We've also got to look at speech. Because any time you've got people speaking in the Bible, God put it that way for a very particular reason because it slows us down. 
When you have back and forth conversation, it takes a whole lot more words to write that, that back and forth conversation than just to say, he said this and then they did this. And that speech is so important because it often is like the big highlighter to let us know what God is wanting to teach us here. So we're going to be looking at those three aspects, the contrast, the problem, and speech. And before we delve into this, there is one, one aspect of speech that just to highlight how important this is, and it's actually back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. And it's in the middle of the story when um, Samuel is coming to anoint the next king, and Jesse brings out all his sons. And Samuel's looking at them and asking God, is this the one? Is this the one? And in verse 7, this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is like the key verse in the entire Samuel saga. And notice it's in speech. And what it's letting you know is that this book is, is concerned about what does it mean to be a man or woman after God's own heart. Not the outward appearance that people kind of look at, the shiny stuff, but deep inside. So with that in mind, let's have a look at the first verse of 2 Samuel, as we start off. And this is the contrast. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed at Ziglag two days. Not really the most awe-inspiring first verse of a, a book. Until you remember that this is halfway through the story. And you've got to put it in context. You see, if we flick over a few pages in our Bible to 1 Samuel 26, what we find is that we've got some contrast between Saul and David. See, in, in chapter 26, Saul is hunting down David. He has been hunting him down for quite some time intent on killing him because he knows that God has rejected him and has chosen David to be the new king. And David had the opportunity one night to sneak in to Saul's camp. And amazingly, he got right beside Saul, who was sleeping. He was able to pick up his spear and his water jug. And you can imagine the, the, the other the other people that were with him kind of nudging David and going, this is your chance, man. He's asleep. You got the spear. Just, just one thrust. But David doesn't. He sneaks out of the camp. And the next morning calls out across the valley and says, you know, Saul, I could have killed you, but I chose not to because I am loyal to the person that God places on the throne. 
And Saul goes, yeah, you're a better man than me. And he walks away. But only for a little while because we find out in chapter 27 that Saul's back at it. He's hunting David down. In fact, it gets to the point that um, David has nowhere to go in the land of Israel. So he crosses the border to the Philistines and hangs out with them. Now, Philistines and, and um, the Israelites had this ongoing little tussle between them of, of the borderlands. And David turns up in a foreign land. He goes to the, 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 the officials in charge and says, look, I'll serve you. Look, Saul's hunting me down. I've got nowhere to go. Please accept me. And they go, okay, fair enough. You know, you're, you know the, your enemy and my enemy, so we're, we're friends. Um, so Saul stays in there, and he's been given, jo- he's been given the city, uh, the town of Ziglag to, to live in, and he's been given assignments. But he always managed to wrangle it. So whenever he has to go out and fight anybody, because he's, he's a warrior, he, that's what he does, he always managed to wrangle the fact that he's attacking and fighting people that are the enemies of Israel. So even though he is being hunted by Saul and has to leave his home and kind of live, live in the Philistine territory, he's still serving Israel. He's still trying to do what God has asked him to do, no matter which situation he's in. And then we contrast that with Saul in chapter 28, where Saul, the, the, the Philistines start massing on the border, and, and, and Saul is terrified, and he wants to kind of cling on to power. And he's so desperate to cling on that he actually goes to, finds a witch and says to the witch, look, can you, can you conjure up Samuel, because he's, he's died at this stage, because I need to ask the Lord something. And I'm trying to manipulate the situation. And we have the, the frightening story of, of uh, in Samuel coming back. And Samuel condemns him and says, you know, what are you doing? This is exactly why God is taking away the kingdom from you. And in verse 29, the, the focus switches back onto David. See, as the Philistines are going up to attack the Israelites, quite a few people start pointing the finger at him and say, well, you're, you're actually an Israelite. How do we know that you're not going to turn against us and kind of stab us in the back at the, the last moment? So he gets carted off, sent back to Ziglag. You know, we, we don't trust you. And when he gets back to his hometown, he finds that his wife, his kids, the wives and children of all the other people that, that are part of his group have been attacked by the Amalekites and taken off to be slaves. His houses have been destroyed. His stuff has been taken. Here he's trying to serve, and he gets stabbed in the back. So instead of leading a pity party, we find out in the next chapter that he, he grabs all his people and he heads out. 
He manages to, to overrun the Amalekites, destroy them, get the families back. He's looking after people everywhere he's going. In contrast to Saul, in chapter 31, the last chapter of 1 Samuel, that in the midst of the battle, it's going badly for him. He receives an arrow and he's wounded. He knows he's going to get captured. He's concerned about his reputation and what will people think and what are they going to do to me when they, you know, when they capture an enemy king. So he asks his armor bearer to, to please just run me through. You know, finish me off now. The armor bearer refuses. So what he does is he takes a sword and he falls on it and he dies. And that is the, the, is the um, context in which we read 2 Samuel 1 verse 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziglag two days. And God has very deliberately put, after the death of Saul, David. Because he wants us to notice that contrast between Saul and David. The next thing we look at is the problem. And we pick it up in verse 2. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell on the ground to pay him honor. Where have you come from, David asked him. I've escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked. Tell me. He said, the men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died, and Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Then David said to the young man who brought him the report, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I happen to be on the Mount of Gilboa, the young man said. And there was Saul leaning on a spear with his chariots and riders almost upon him. When he turned around and saw me, he called out to me and said, what can I do? Oh, so I turned around and said, what can I do? He asked me, who are you? A Malachite, I answered. Then he said to me, stand over me and kill me. I am on the throes of death, but still alive. So I stood over him and killed him because I knew that after he had fallen, he could not survive. And I took the crown that was on my head, on his head and the band on his arm, and I've brought them here to my Lord. David is at his hometown. He's just fought a major battle to get his wife and children back and the wives and children of all his followers. He's recovering from this battle. He knows that there is a big battle happening between the Philistines and the Israelites. And a single messenger comes. And it's not good news. David knows before he even gets there, it's not good news. Because if it's good news, you have the whole army returning. He's kind of, you know, we know that the messenger is playing fast and loose with kind of the facts of the story and, and Saul's death. 
David doesn't know this. But he's suspicious that something is up because at the moment, everybody is against him. The Israelites are against him. The Philistines are against him. The Amalekites are against him. And it seems odd that a messenger would come to him and bow down before him as an important person and share this news. So he's wondering what's up. And we've got the suspense building as the messenger starts revealing what's happening and and starting to tell his story. And then you have something really, really odd in the story. God prompts the messenger to put the words in Saul's mouth, who are you? You know, that's a really odd question to ask somebody in the middle of battle when you want them to do something. It's just odd. But God wanted this, that little phrase, that little question in there. Again, it's speech because it points to something. And and he answers, an Amalekite. And as soon as that mention of Amalekite, you go, ah, an Amalekite. That was mentioned in verse 1. And then you think, oh, okay, who are these Amalekites? See, the first mention of the Amalekites in 1 Samuel is back in chapter 15 when Samuel comes to Saul and says, the Amalekites have been sinful. They need to be destroyed. It is your job. God is sending you to go and destroy the Amalekites. And and Saul heads out. He has a big battle. He's been told to destroy absolutely everything, but he doesn't. He brings back the best of the sheep, the oxen, uh, the, the, the goats. And Samuel meets them halfway back to home. And he's saying, what, what, what's this I can hear? What's the bleating of the sheep that I can hear? And Saul, very quick on his feet, says, oh, I was saving them to, to offer them to a sacrifice. You know, I was doing a good thing. And Samuel says the words, very famous words, to obey is better than sacrifice. And because of this, because you did not obey, God is going to strip the kingdom away from you. That's why we have the reference here to the Amalekites again, because it's reminding of us that this is what's happening. And we have evidence here that God did strip the kingdom away, finally, you know, uh, through this battle. But we also notice earlier on that David actually went out and fulfilled the commandment that Saul was supposed to do. In rescuing his family, in rescuing the families of the people that were following him, he actually fulfilled the commandment that was given to Saul. He actually went out and destroyed the Amalekites completely. 
This is the last one that we know is kind of standing. And we're reminded of that. Again, the contrast between Saul and David. It's a question here, what's the problem? Because remember, anytime you have a story, you've got to think of the problem. What is the problem? Well, the problem is here we have an Amalekite presenting David with the crown and with the armband of Saul. These are the symbols of kingship. If you put them on, everybody knows that you are the king. And the problem with accepting the crown and the armband, Saul's crown and armband, and putting them on from Amalekite is that people could look at David and say, you crafty person. You managed to to slip an enemy into the camp who just happened to be on Mount Gilboa at the right time. And during the battle, just kind of knocked Saul off and grabbed the the, the crown and the armband and, and come. People could have looked at it and said, you were able to to be the king because of what you did, not because of what God had done. See, God had promised that David was one day going to be king. But David had to faithfully serve until God raised him up. So that's the problem. So let's find out what happened. In the next verse, verse 11 to 16. Then David and all his men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who brought him the report, Where are you from? I am the son of an alien and a Malachite, he answered. David asked him, Why were you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, Go, strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. For David said to him, Your blood be on your own head. Your own mouth testified against you when you said, I killed the Lord's anointed. Notice David's first response. He's told that Saul is dead. And his first response is to mourn. He tears his clothes, a sign of grief, intense grief. And he and his men mourn David, Jonathan, and everybody that fell in the battle. No thought of the kingship, no thought of the reward for him but that this is a very sad day for Israel. And then we have two questions. Remember, speech is so, so important because whenever somebody is talking, we have to take notice because it's there for a reason. So David asked two questions. Again, who are you? And he asked that, and that's an important one because we're reminded again that this is an Amalekite. This man standing before David should not have been there. 
He should have been wiped out by Saul. We're reminded that if Saul was a man after God's own heart and obeyed the commandments of God, the man standing before David should not have been there. Shouldn't have happened this way. And the second question, he follows up and he says, why are you not afraid to lift your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? You see, David was respecting Saul and his life and trying to serve, not because Saul was a great person, not because he was a great leader, but because it was God who put him there. And he was faithfully serving until the time that God removed him and raised him up. And David's response there at the end is to fulfill God's command to Saul by ordering the last Amalekite to be killed. That's the story we have. But we have to ask, so what? You know, this isn't just a Sunday school story that we kind of learn and we go, hey, that's cool. A little bit of history. God actually wants to teach us something through the story. He's given us this story for a reason because it connects with us. This story connects with us. Because we can, we can look at Saul and David and it, we can resonate with David. Because all of us have had experiences when things have gone against us. When something should have happened, but the opposite happened, and it was tough. When things didn't work out the way they should. And we look at David and we go, yeah, I feel that pain because, you know, there are things in my life like that. So the story connects with us. The story also makes us think. Because we're confronted with the two possibilities. Are we going to be like Saul? And cling on to things and try to manipulate things and try to make things happen the way we want them? Or are we going to be like David? And faithfully serve in the circumstances we find ourselves in until God raises us up. And lastly, this story makes deep truths real to us. You see, the whole point of First and Second Samuel is what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? And what this passage is saying, this is what it looks like. It means that we are faithfully serving. And when God chooses... He will make things happen. Not when we necessarily want them, but in his time. And we cling on to those promises that he has given us, and we faithfully serve wherever we are, making the best of each opportunity, because we know 
that his promises will come true. And one day, he will raise us up, and it may not be in the way we think. That's why we've been given this passage. And over the next few months, we are going to explore the rest of the book and discover what else it's telling us about what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us using stories, making them real to us. Father, we often often struggle with things not going right. Father, help us to, to faithfully live out and serve you, our faith and live out and serve, and serve you in the highs and the lows. We look forward to the day when all those promises will come true. And ultimately, we look forward to the day we will be made perfect and with you. And we enjoy perfect fellowship away from the sin and the, the trials of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.